when we were a smaller business and we had sort of 14, 18 people in the company, everyone knew everyone. You know, you, you know a lot about your team. It's very different. It's just a very different thing from having 100 people and going, I actually have people joining me and I don't know who they are in the same way that I would have done if there was only 15 people in the team. I don't know what their hobbies are and I don't know what their wives called because I, I don't work with that individual on a daily basis. So it's trying to remain scalable and keep the personable approach and have, you know, everyone empowered to know that the doors open. And and then you do find what, what I find is that then you do start building quite interesting bonds throughout the company at various levels because, you know, you are talking to people. It's not a pyramid. You know, the, the old school pyramid doesn't work. Welcome to the How They Lead podcast, hosted by Benjamin Wade and Ben Stocken. This podcast is dedicated to exploring the world of high performance, showcasing examples of how individuals and teams can reach their full potential. Together, they'll be inviting amazing guests who have defined or represented high performance in their own right. From world record breakers to individuals who have achieved first in their fields, the How They Lead podcast will showcase a diverse range of guests, each with their unique stories and insights to share. So join us as we challenge traditional ways of doing things, explore new ideas, methods and possibilities, and evolve the way people perform. Thank you for joining us today on our, on our podcast, the next episode, How They Lead. Really excited to get you on board. I've obviously seen so much about you on LinkedIn and what's happening with the business. So really excited to hear your journey and how you've ended up joining us today. So if you could give us a brief overview of OnBuy uh, and our listeners can try and take away some real insights and lessons so they can be better as an individual, as a team, and as a business. Over to you, Kaz. No, yeah, thank you. Pleasure, pleasure to be here, thanks. So OnBuy's a very fast-growing online marketplace, UK only at the moment. We're the fastest-growing e-commerce business in Europe, as the Financial Times labeled us this year. The 11th fastest-growing business in the UK, according to Deloitte, and you know those accolades of... Uh, certainly put a smile on a few people's faces in this company because you know you, you don't expect that to happen when you only trade in the UK and not all of Europe. So yeah, it's been a very interesting year. We we introduce customers to retailers. So we work with thousands of retailers on the platform. We have millions of products. I think we're up to like 42 million products. Um, customers can come, browse, buy, and we are unique because OnBuy as a business uh, has been working for six and a half years on building a bit of a disruptive proposition um, that takes time to launch. There's been a vision that we've had for 10 years, actually, but we've been online for six and a half years. And very recently, we've just launched um, our final big proposition piece, which is that OnBuy is the world's first cashback marketplace. So OnBuy as a product allows customers to come buy from all of their known and trusted brands and actually earn rewards for being customers of OnBuy, which really is set to disrupt the e-commerce market, simplify the rewards market, disrupt the cashback market, and completely disrupt our competitors who don't necessarily reward any loyalty. So actually charge for loyalty. So for us, it's a big 
it's a big play and it means that on by now has a very strong purpose in life um and most importantly a customer can differentiate why they would buy something from say another marketplace or why they would buy it from on by so yeah it's a very exciting time and you know you caught me right in the middle of this product going live and it's the whole team is you know ecstatic about what's coming uh, it's a great it's a great company to be in right now yeah that's um that, that's really interesting and actually like as a as a customer of various kind of you know marketplaces and e-commerce as we all are like i remember kind of being introduced to like cashback kind of websites where you could follow a link and and, and to be honest I got a bit like disheartened, disenfranchised. I was like, I, I can't be bothered to go to all these different places and follow these links. So it's a mess. Yeah, yeah. It's a mess. You've got, you've got a multi-billion dollar industry based on old school tracking, terms and conditions, loopholes. No, this isn't included. We exclude these products or you have to wait 120 days. It's just a joke. The whole industry is a mess. And we decided that customers want rewards you know we find one of we set out in business to make sure that we're very transparent with our customers and we said look one of the big things that we wanted to do in the vision was make sure that our reward sorry our returning our our valuable returning loyal customers are the ones that actually get the best rewards because you know we've all been there you know new customers getting better offers than you and it happens with tv services it happens it happens with everything everybody wants new customers but to a customer who's being loyal to a brand, you know, you almost feel penalized for being loyal. You, you can get better deals by leaving and moving, whether that's banks, whether that's TV, whether that's insurance. And it's a joke. That's not right. So when we set out in the vision, we said, look, how can we do something different that actually makes customers want to engage? And we spent years working on this. This is a vision that we set from day one. We couldn't launch it at day one. We and it's evolved a little bit, but we couldn't launch it at day one because OnBuy wasn't credible or viable enough to do something like that. You, we had to build up a business based on, you know, what's known in market, what's reliable, what's trusted, what's commonplace and not rock the boat too much. Because, you know, at the start, it might it might create some reasons to maybe hit some hard times, raise some questions even with investors that might say, well, how's that going to work? You know, this is not proven. There's nothing to follow. It's a bit of a leap. All of these problems that might come out. So we decided that we needed to do this at the right time. And uh, now is absolutely the right time because, you know, with the with the economy in the state it's in, with people's pockets in the place they're in, it's the perfect time for OnBuy to say, you know what? Be loyal to OnBuy then you actually get something back. Get something back. With our cashback mechanism, you, you just referred to it. You know, there's no links, there's no clicks, there's no tracking, there's nothing. When, when you buy with OnBuy, actually, I'll add something else. We didn't want to go down the loyalty points route because it's not tangible, right? I mean, you, they're intangible rewards, you know, and we said, no, how can we do something really valuable? So when we launched the cashback marketplace, the idea is a customer can come to the website buy things and even new customers have the opening rate the opening rate is one percent you can have one percent on anything that you shop those that cash goes straight into your on buy account you can spend that on your next purchase immediately after placing an order so that's immediately available if you want to withdraw that to your bank account you have to wait till 30 days after delivery of the product because there's various things that we have to do in the process but Fundamentally, that cuts the average wait time of cashback down 
by 75%, which is unbelievable, taking it from an average of 120 days to 30 as a guide. But usable cashback down to immediate. So if you are a regular shopper, user, you get it. And then what we've done is we've gone so far as to say our most loyal customers, the people spending with us, can have a significant rewards and that you can earn through tiers. That will be the tiers aren't actually in the public space yet. We're we're still refining that tiny little piece with some data following the launch of this product, which is right now. And but what we did do to try and give our customers a huge reward is we launched with a massive opening 7.5% cashback on everything to all 6 million of our customers. So we actually set 10 million pounds aside for this huge launch, which is significant, which makes OnBuy, you know, a significantly viable customer channel to shop with. And if you think about what we tried to do, we've even disrupted the uh, the rest of the e-commerce market. We've undervalued price comparison. For example, you know, is that enough? Is it just the price or are there other things going on? And you, the customer now, you know, if you're in on by club, let's say the cashback site and you and you understand the value and you recognize the value, it's very real. Um, we've driven more customers to want to come and do their search on on by first to try and see what's actually because we've not got every product yet. We're not perfect. We're still a startup business, right? So, yeah, exciting times. That is exciting. I think uh, everyone, there we go. Jump onto on by. Um, see what cashback you can get. I think like we're we're gonna kick the office out and some in some stuff and get some cashback. Kaz, what what like what I'm really interested in now is is looking at we know kind of where you're at now, and I can see in your eyes already like this is probably just the beginning. But we're really like we're so we're a, a leadership development business. We're really interested in how have you got to this place in terms of your your people, the team you've built, etc. So we're gonna ask you a bunch of questions now to really unpick that and the first one will start really high level which is how do you approach leading a, a team of people inspiring and leading a team of people on this mission like what what's your what's your your go-to in that space yeah i think i've learned a lot over this period you know one of the things that ombuds had to do it doesn't apply to every business but the pace of growth is is just unfathomable when you think how things change so quickly. You know, in a, there was one year, a couple of years ago, we grew 700% in the one single year, which is phenomenal. And the average growth rate for the business over a four-year period is 3,500%. So you've got this situation where the business is ever-changing. And one of the things that I've, because I've had businesses in the past, one of the things that's really become essential here, with, with no exception, is that you need your middle management, your sub-leaders, your team to be leaders. Like, there's no way that you want operators that don't think and manage and grow in, in a business like this. Everybody needs to be able to problem solve. Everybody needs to be able to strategize. Everybody needs to be able to find the solution and not just talk about the problem. So one of the things that I've tried to do is get people that make my life easier. You know, one of the things I so I remember reading a book a few years back and it was, you know, I've read a, a billion and one books from various entrepreneurs and autobiographies of people that have done it and made it and cracked it. And I can't remember which which uh, entrepreneur said this, but everyone's reused this now. It's be this, be, you know, don't be the smartest person in the room. And, you know, I'd like to say that's difficult. Um, <laughs> but no, the truth is you've you've got to get 
you've got to get people around you that you know challenge you and push back and have a voice and if it's just a bunch of yes men in the, in the meeting you you've got the wrong you've got the wrong team because we're moving at speed people own areas and i need to be able to turn to those people who own those areas and get a grip of what's actually going on and them not expecting me to come up with all of the solutions to those problems so it does come down to the people and getting the right people. We were at a conference yesterday with um, a multitude of, of startups. And one of the questions that came up was, how do you select that team right at day, day one? So going from zero to one and then from one to 10 in terms of your, your team. How did you select your team to join you, especially when there's probably one big obvious player in the marketplace who you were looking to disrupt initially? How do you get a team and how do you motivate that team when there is that competition and it is staring you in the face that you're going to go up against them? and disrupt the whole market? It's hard at the start. I think if anyone's on a startup journey, that's, that, it, that, that is a bit different because there's another, there's another um, lens to look through, which is you can't afford the team that you might you know, one day have in the future. So when I first started, I was very, very fortunate that when we came, because I grew many, many bootstrap businesses of various you know, um, different directions in the past web development uh business consultancy i owned retailers i've owned brands i've worked in nine countries when i started on buying came up with like this is what we're going to do i had a handful of people from those previous businesses that i was able to say i want you guys in this and i you know i really want you in this so that that was a fortunate position for me i knew how they worked i knew how they thought i knew that there was there's three guys i brought in and they they've been with us from the start they're still here um so that that was one fortunate move for me but that wasn't enough you can't start a business like this with sort of four people and that and that's it so the next the next step was to try and find those individuals that you know really i felt we could see longevity in in their role and and but it is difficult it's very very difficult when you when you when you're small and you're trying to figure out and you don't have the resources the cash or the capital that really backs that so yeah, that that is that is a very difficult problem and one that any star business is going to face. Someone once explained something to me a while ago because I think this is also important, especially in startup, and not so important in scale up or when your business is established. But there's almost like um an expectation in startup businesses that not every single person that comes through the door is going to be there in five years, right? That that's the other thing that you have to consider is that. You know, you'll bring people in. They might be great for that size. But if you're going to grow at 3,400%, you know, you're not the same business in four years' time. And what you'll find is that some individuals will absolutely grow and evolve and improve and grow with and still add value in that process. And that's why they're still here. And others, will you'll outgrow the individual and the individual will say, you know, they might move on organically and, 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 and find another role that suits them for the size business they thought you were at the start. So there's, there's a natural sort of a churn of, of, of um, team members as well. But what you'll find is the, the superstars that join you at the start and you, you were right, you know, they're still with you. That's because they are superstars and they will evolve at that speed. Yeah, nice. I think you've just echoed what the panel of experts said yesterday, what we were discussing as well, and being humble enough to realize that actually at some stage you are no longer the expert and there are other experts who can do a better job than you. So you might step down and become the CRO um, and bring in generalists or specialists at certain points, but being aware of when the right time is for that. 
Yeah. And I think there's that, there's that idea of starters and finishers as well. Like some people are just built as, as starters. And so, and then when you kind of get to, I guess, BAU or a, a slightly different stage of the business, their skill sets just, their skill sets and their will, maybe they're like, actually, you, as well. Pardon? They lose that excitement. They, they might lose that excitement and, and their, their, their passion, their drive, what, what, what kind of gets them out of bed is like, is not there anymore. And so, and so, and, and interestingly, one of the businesses yesterday, it was a, a business leader and she, she'd exited. She said, we had some people like that. They were, they were, they were clear starters. And one of the best things we did was, was they opened new territories. So they were the people that had the culture, but they were, they were, they were, they were starters. So let, let's, let's, let's go and help them start, start a new part of the, the journey of the business somewhere else. Um, there's a piece that you talked about, um, about not having yes people kind of in the room that I'm, I'm really interested because when you, when you hire people and you've talked about, I think the importance of attracting and, and identifying the right people, um, how do you, so Kaz, how do you create that environment where like people have that trust and freedom to go, hang on, Kaz, like actually that isn't the best idea. This might be. Yeah, I think it, I've always had a very um, open door policy, open approach with all of every single person in the company and try and build that relationship with individuals that they, they know that they can talk to you at any level. Um, it's really important. You know, I, I don't want to hear that my idea was great. Like that, that's not, unless it is absolutely great or whatever, <laughs> of course. But no, I mean, the, the idea is that you, you, you empower everybody and they don't feel threatened by that. So once, once people start to see other people who do push back and go, you know, that's good. What could we do here? Or maybe that isn't a hundred percent or you haven't thought of this or what about that? Once that starts to happen, even in a in a minor setting, like one small meeting with a few ears, once that happens, then it starts to spread because people start to realize that's not, they're not under threat if, if, if they push back. It's really important to push back. And we also do like, um, we do a, a weekly session with everyone, in, sorry, a bi-weekly session with everyone in the company. So we get together every other Monday, whole company, 20 minutes on the phone. And I actually take the, it is, that's my 20 minutes. And I take the team through examples like that saying, you know, it's important that we're brave. It's important that we're strong. It's important that we challenge everything, including me, including James, like our CFO, including whoever it is, Sheree, our CMO, everyone has a voice to, you know, stand up and say what they think. And if they think what, where we're going is wrong or not right today, I don't, I'll give you another example. You know, we, something that happened recently where uh, there was a design done for something in the business and it sort of slipped through you know when you're moving at speed something something might happen and someone said that someone thought I don't know and anyway a design came along and and it, it all you know it was starting to make its way into the development cycle for a particular function on the website and I saw the design for the first time and I looked at it and thought where did this come from I'm not 100% keen on this but it's not my place right I, I, I don't know what's gone on here the user research the thought process whatever but I just sent it out to the floor and the team came back and and the first reaction from the floor was I don't know where this has come from this, this isn't right this isn't quite what it should be or we don't like it whatever so then I went oh this is interesting so I went back to the people who should like it and I said do you like this and they were like no you know not really. I don't know where it's come from. And I said, well, it's not going out. 
you know, the, the, the truth is our team need to be on board with what we're doing. Now, you can't please everyone, and there's, there's always going to be outliers, but if we don't have belief, it's certainly in the right places, about something going out, it's not going out. You know, so it, it can't be that I've said we're doing this and none of the team have belief in it. If I haven't stated my case strong enough for them to appreciate maybe my lens, my view on why, and they, by this point, haven't actually conceded for whatever reason their point, if they don't believe in it, it's not going out. It's, it can't happen. You need for the company to move at this pace and for the company to build the right culture, the team has to know and believe that the value or the, the credibility is there. If they don't believe in what's going out, you, you're not going to be able to keep your people anyway. So, you know, that, that's, that's how we operate at Onbar. That's a really good point that you mentioned as well in terms of that culture and belief. And I guess the question is how important to you and where you've brought the company to today, how important were the mission, vision, values, the goal, and people really buying into that, that sense of purpose and that vision? How do you get that across or communicate that to the business and maintain that as well so it's not diluted as you grow at such an extreme rate? Yeah, and that, that, you know, that's where we have had some struggles along the way trying to keep that moving, particularly during you know, fast-paced higher periods where you know, things have rocketed you know, 600 700% in a year is very, very difficult. And then you've got lots of new faces coming in and it's very difficult to keep it moving, I think, which I do try to meet every new employee personally when they come in it, during those periods it's almost impossible but as a minimum keeping those sessions company-wide and um you know they work you, you get a chance to cut through where messages might not be you know moving through at the same pace in other teams and getting those sessions and that's scalable it doesn't matter whether there's a thousand people on the call or a hundred people on the call whatever so that that works but trying to instill the we 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 were we were quite small when we created a a vision and strategy document for the business. You know the pillars of the the, the company. The you know what what how our employees. You know what we look for in employees. And we we created a considerable document for the company. It set out the vision. It set out the mission. It set out the the you know the strategy and the people strategy etc. In 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 the company. So during a recruitment process and everything else, the onboarding of new individuals, that's the key part. Um, and in there is things like be brave, be strong, you know, stand up. We also do something quite important in our um, hiring process. We make sure that we actually have quite an interesting hiring process because we make sure that every single individual can, well, we do certain tests anyway, you know, we'll do like a problem solving test, we'll do an Excel test, we'll do various things so that we try and understand how people can think and can solve. We actually do a presentation and the presentation's interesting. So they'll do a task, they'll do a presentation. And the goal is to take the presentation one step above whoever is hiring the person. So if you are doing a marketing role and perhaps it's directly for the CMO, then the presentation will actually be to me. Because the idea needs to be, well, you need to be that strong enough and that close enough. And that, 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 gets everyone up at a level as well thinking that they can talk to, yeah. you know making sure they know they can talk to you're breaking barriers before they've even joined the company yeah. yeah and that that then carries through when they hire they've already they've already had those chats those chats you know and that that route and that that channel is always open and um it helps the message jump steps and keeps everyone thinking that way so the culture of the business is already empowered from the interview process so that's a learning 
you know, from we didn't used to do all that kind of stuff when we were smaller, you know, but it's uh, how do you keep that moving? And I think it's um, it's just really important that you empower people. Yeah, I like, I like that approach. So a lot of businesses that we see, they, they start from day one. So bringing someone in and that's when they start enhancing the team and the individuals from day one of stepping through the door. But actually, there's a whole lot more to it even before they've started or walk through the door, like two, three, four weeks out and through that interview stage as well. It's about being scalable, yeah. isn't it? The problem is when, when you're scaling, it's very easy to say how you would run a company if you've got, say, 20 individuals or less. It's very, very easy. You're very involved. Once you start to get to 30, 40, it gets a bit harder. 50, 60, 70, 80, it just becomes, it becomes unmanageable for you to be that key person and have those close, personable relationships that you would have in a smaller business. You know, when we were a smaller business and we had sort of 14, 18 people in the company, everyone knew everyone. Well, you know, you, you know a lot about your team. It's very different. It's just a very different thing from having 100 people and going, I actually have people joining me and I don't know who they are in the same way that I would have done if there was only 15 people in the team. I don't know what their hobbies are and I don't know what their wives are called because I, I don't work with that individual on a daily basis. So it's trying to remain scalable and keep the personable approach and have, you know, everyone empowered to know that the doors open. And and then you do find what, what I find is that then you do start building quite interesting bonds throughout the company at various levels because, you know, you are talking to people. It's not a pyramid, you know. The, the old school pyramid doesn't work. Yeah. Especially if you're trying to instill creativity and innovation as well. Because like you say, those conversations are where that happens and where, where that is, is nurtured. Yeah, completely. I think, you know, just I was just thinking, I was talking to a CEO last week and I asked them, it was the first conversation, discovery conversation, like, well, how many, how many direct reports do you have? And, um, and they said, well, I have 15. I was like, how's, how's that going for you? And they were like, honestly? Terrible. Horrific. Yeah. Like terrible. And we had this interesting conversation then about we had this interesting conversation about the importance of 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 people having enough exposure to senior enough people in the business for their their development and bridging that hierarchy gap. And there is a risk when you're when you scale fast to just stack hierarchy and build that pyramid. But actually what I really like about what you talked about in terms of the interview process is you're building those bridges so people communicate above levels. And there is that, there's that kind of collegiate, collaborative element that I guess engenders that people can say, hang on a minute, I don't think this is the best idea. And, and when you then reach, reach into the business to get that feedback, you get it, but you get it at pace because, you know, you, you reaching back to say, is this right? In some businesses, there would be a void and people would be like, shit, am I going to put my head above, above the ground? And go no, Kaz, it's crap, and um, and then get get kind of shot down. So I think you've you've instilled that that really nice. I'd be really interested so over the next few years to see how how you maintain that agility of feedback loop because I think it's it sounds like it's been key to to how you've really refined in on on excellence. Yeah, absolutely. And it's you know the the truth is is there's still a lot to learn on my side. You know when we hit five hundred people or a thousand people, there's going to be all kinds of challenges. But we try and future proof what we're trying to create um thinking is this scalable i think one of the pillars of our whole strategy is that we have a scalable business it's really important so for us it's not just writing that you know it's one of those things it's like it's like when you employ someone and they say yeah i take a data led approach it's like just something everyone says <laughs> and it's 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 trying to go but do you do actually you really? do you actually take a data led approach 
And I think for us, scalable platform or scalable business means a lot more than just those words that sound great to investors or shareholders, right? For us, scalable means if, because we had to do it, if you six, seven X the company in one year, which bits are going to fall apart? Like that, that, that kind of view going, it's not just technology. Technology is relatively easy to solve infrastructure and operations. That's where if you have someone that does that thing, that when it 10x is now there's going to be 10 someones, but the system's not in a place to do that. And that's not scalable. And that's not scalable from an efficiency perspective either, right? You know, you have to find ways to leverage technology or leverage automation or leverage AI or whatever it is to try and, you know, move forward. Because we, we were saying, you know, people would say to me, like, does AI change the business? Does AI change anything? It changes the business, but it'll change the business in the sense that I now need people who know how to use AI. Like, you know, it's, it's not it's not a replacer of every role. It's a it's an evolution of roles where you go, well, you know, yeah, do I want 10 people doing this thing or do I want a team or one person programming the AI to do the, the things, you know? But for us, luckily, these uh this, this, we're already ahead on that kind of stuff so it's it's not a shock to the business yet. i feel like you wanted to say more then but you can't <laughs> <laughs> i've got i've got a follow-up question on the scaling bit because like some point at some point and this and this may have already you may have already kind of felt this a couple of times you could potentially become the bottleneck in terms of in terms of scalability so how are you at the moment avoiding that kind of hero mode bit that loads of founder ceos etc get to go I can see a problem. I can fix it quickly, faster maybe than than the people. But I know to build a scalable business, I need autonomy and and my people to step up. So I don't know. Maybe you've got a, an example where whatever you did and 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 kind of you had to fix it, or some tips for people who are maybe first time leaders or first time founders and like crap. I know. I know. I love that dopamine hit of the fast fix. How how do you overcome that? Yeah, that's a tough one. I think the the, the view is my view is know your place so for me this is this is this is quite an answer right you have to do the fast fixes when you start in a business you have to if if from day one you're thinking i can get the right team in and i'm going to trust everybody and i'm going to you know empower you could sit here and i could say to you all the things that will make me sound like a fantastic leader right i could go i'm going to empower my people from day one i need to trust my team you know they're now the people i've employed all the stuff that you would read in a book in reality, when you're starting out, you don't have the best team. You've got gaps. They're learning. They're new. And you need to hand information over. And you can't become the bottleneck that they you know, have to run everything through you. You're not a micromanager. That, that, that's not scalable. So from my perspective, it was I'm trying to get the team, or if we rewind a few years, trying to get the team up to a place that I trust their decisions. That takes some time because ultimately, especially as a founder-led business, it's your baby. You're getting this business off the ground. You've got the vision and you're trying to instill that and share that and, and make sure everyone's got it. And you're trying to assess the team. You're going, I think, you know, an interview process is an interview process. You don't get into how well you can trust individuals or how they actually solve problems until you're working together. And that can take months. In fact, in some roles, it can take a year or more to really understand how an individual thinks how they problem solve, how they would tackle a situation. 
And you've got to go through a few fires before you really understand how people react. Some people jump ship if the business doesn't look like it's going well and you, you, you're left holding everything. So you've got to try and suss that out. And while that's going on, you are going to be fast fixing and you are going to be leaping in and, and just doing things that need to be done because ultimately you can't wait, you know, and you can't wait for these things to happen. But over time, if you know where your place is, I know that my place should not be involved in every facet of the business. And I've already pulled myself out of the areas where that trust, the experience, the processes, the SOPs are all in place. And therefore you can go, I can leave this. Like this can be operated. This can be owned. This can grow under a new leader and it can improve. And you've just got to work through those bits. You know, not even today in Omba, I'm not going to say everything's perfect. It's not. There are areas of the business that, we're still, you know, they're like, that's a problem for another day because we've got the things we actually need to solve, not just the areas we want to solve because they're operating. They're okay. They're not, they're not on fire. And you go and you have to prioritize. It's the other problem that you have as a CEO or anyone, any, any, any role, prioritization. You can't fix everything at once. So we just tackle the biggest fires, the biggest things, make sure those are all done, make sure they're owned and just work your way through until eventually the CEO role, not the founder role, but the CEO role falls into, you know, where it should be, where it would be in a more established business that isn't going through this this journey. You know, CEO comes in, knows the place, has the leadership team underneath and empowers the leaders to make the decisions and ultimately, you know, becomes an investor in team, investor in, 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 in maximizing efficiency, and empowering the team to make the right decisions. The founder's a bit different because the founder's out there doing all the noise and is the, is the face of the business, but only optically, right? Optically, that that's a different role. You mentioned SOPs, which obviously made my ears prick up from a military background back in the day. SOPs were, were the life or death of, of, of an operation or flying. You had to have those SOPs in place to give you that solid foundation to then stretch yourself and become a high-performing team or individual. So how have they played, or would you say they've played an important part, getting those SOPs really nailed down? Because a lot of businesses, it's not sexy. It takes up time and capacity, and it's often forgotten year on year. They never get updated. So there's a duplication of effort, duplication of roles and responsibilities. Have those SOPs played quite a, a crucial point in you being able to scale? In some roles, in some functions, yeah. You'd say operator roles. If you don't have strong SOPs, how on earth can you outsource functions? And if you can't, if you don't have SOPs, how can you tender for to outsource correctly in the future? You're trapped. So for us, that pillar of scalable technology and operator functions so all of our operations whether that's across customer service or whether that's across seller support whatever those SOPs are crucial and in other areas of the business not so much is evolving too quickly um you know you don't want to be contained by SOPs I think if you're in and you referred to this earlier if you're in a BAU part you know phase of the business where the business is only looking for a relatively small growth per annum and it's going to come from new initiatives then SOPs you know they protect the business because they wrap it in what is the known BAU what is the playbook but now when there's certainly areas that SOPs in the business are fundamental because you how do you get new agents in how do you train new operators and we're a business of thinkers right I don't not necessarily a business of operators so in on by the 
the idea is I want a company of thinkers and problem solvers, um, leaders and, and creatives and the operators, you know, for us, that, that's something that is SOP driven. So whether that's in-house because it's more efficient to have it in-house, whether it's outsourced because it's more efficient to have it outsourced or there's more resilience, like that's, that's how we kind of divide and conquer really. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, makes sense. Um, Kaz, I want to ask you our West Peak question. So, so West Peak, we founded the business like on the premise that people learn a little bit of a skill, and I think the saying goes that like a little bit of knowledge is is super dangerous. And in mountaineering, there's there there, there are some really famous like false summits, and one of them is a is a Western East Peak mountain. So the West Peak is is the true summit, and the East Peak is the false summit, and often. Unfortunately, lots of people don't like they they might perish on the way down from the false summit because they put everything in to get to that summit. So putting this in a business context, can you share an example where you've reached what you thought was a was a summit of knowledge or understanding or a, or a plateau and where you thought you were going to you were going to get to as, as a business and then and then you realized, wow, there's there's a whole other summit up there. I'm sure you've got plenty of stories. So if you could share one, it'd be it'd be fantastic. Yeah, there's one big one that comes to mind. So when we launched as a business, um we had to take a decision on how we launched the marketplace. And um, I remember back then, there's basically um, two ways you could launch a marketplace. One way is that you're merchant of record and one way is that you're not merchant of record. And what I mean by that is there are platforms out there that connect the customer and the seller directly. And you as a marketplace have no involvement in that transaction. You don't touch the funds. You're not, you're not in the loop. You can charge a commission, but you're not in the loop. So if the customer has a problem, they have to go through and complain to the seller. And the seller is ultimately the retailer of the product. And back at day one, we had to decide which way we would go. And we decided to go the non-merchant of record route because we were like, well, look, there's a lot of risk being merchant of record. We're now going to have funds moving through our bank accounts. We, when you go back to that startup analogy of cost control, I don't have the, I don't have the cash, the capital, the investment to have finance people and you know various layers of scrutiny over fund control and various payment issues, risk teams, all sorts that we, you know, you would need. So we took the decision that that's scalable and there's enough platforms out there, whether it be Stripe or PayPal for marketplaces or various other platforms that make that quite a neat solution. And we pushed that solution to the brink of absolute failure. You know, we literally grew that thinking it was completely scalable and we could smash it. And we grew so fast. We grew the first 18 months took were hellish because we had a, a platform that had nothing to sell and no sellers, which is never ideal. So and no customers, so then the sellers don't want to join you. So the first 18 months is, is horrific. But once we got to like a hundred grand a month, then it was five hundred grand a month, then it was a million a month, then it was five million a month, then it was ten million a month. Once we got to about ten million a month in sales, this mechanism that all of these providers sort of say, you know, will work. It, it wasn't working. It, 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 it didn't give us what we needed and it didn't give our customers what they needed. So we thought we'd smashed it. We could go all the way to a billion, two billion, no problem. But we were, we absolutely plateaued at a hundred million and getting over that hundred million. Every time we pushed to go higher, it was just fraught with operational challenges because of the complexities of the volume and the lack of being in control of the, the funds or the fund distribution or the risk of the sellers. So we had to engage in a re-engineering of OnBuy, which was the most painful year, actually only completed in, in March this year. 
and it took us a year to get completely re-engineered of how we could have probably built it at the start, but you know, hindsight. And that was that was horrific. And and during that rebuild, not pushing the the you know the growth button anymore. And you can imagine, you know, having come from a business that's just grown, 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 plateauing it like hundred and forty million in sales, ballpark fifty, and going, I can't move this because every time we do, it's going to have consequences. And then for a year, saying to shareholders and investors, and this is post-COVID, and they're thinking, oh, is, can this business grow again? Is it going to grow again? That, that, that's horrific. And, and the down, you know, coming down that peak, and basically the excitement we built all the way up to them, basically, that hurt, you know. And, and that, for many leaders, I imagine it, that would have been a time to just basically go, this, is, this isn't fun. This isn't fun. This is horrible. But we, we stuck at it, and in March, we or end of March, we deployed Merchant of Record. By May, we actually grew 100% month on month. Um, so we were, we, were, we were off again, and right now we're, you know, back up to, well, we're, we're, we're well above where we were in COVID. We're well above everything. So we're, you know, while the, the rest of the e-com market is struggling, we've, 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 we're up to the next peak, you know. So... That that was that was scary. It was expensive. It was you know, especially don't forget we were a loss making business that's trying to scale. So buying a year of time for reengineering is not what investors want to hear. That's not where you know. But then to get the instant gratification at the end of it and go, well, look, we got the hundred percent growth. It just came in one month instead of over twelve, right? So <laughs> that confidence and that buzz of actually getting to the other side, plus that meant that we could launch our proposition, which is why. You know, the, the cashback play went in, out immediately after and everything just unlocked straight away. So for OnBuy, it was a don't give up, just get up that next peak. Head down, <laughs> yeah, look at the footpath, keep going. Keep going. Um, yeah. Well done for holding your nerve because like that's, that's a pretty big like challenge. Um, as you said, to overcome with like with, with your team, with your shareholders, with investors and also with yourself. I imagine like, like there's, there's an element of frustration. And like, like, crap, we could have avoided that. But also, like, I want to press on. Well, was it always in the back of your mind? You knew there was a, a white elephant in the room that you had to, at some stage, revisit this merchant record. So for you, was it a distraction? It's written down somewhere. And it was always coming up in conversation. Like, yeah, yeah, but that's the problem. <laughs> yeah, we'll right? just keep pushing it back. Yeah. Right. That's the problem for another day. And then when that day came, it was like, this is going to cost Huge. like 8 million pounds, 8 million pounds wow. to re-engineer. That's just in that's just in delay and burn, just burn, yeah. and then no growth and no this and no that and you know and and we could be doing something else and and that's bad. But you know what? What was good about that? I say good, but what what was at least positive about that is on that down when everything becomes hard and you're into the sixth, seventh, eighth month of a crappy shareholder update saying, look, we're really close. That's all you can say. We're really we're working. Out. We're really close. We're, we're getting there. We we're still on time. We we ask for your trust. We ask for you, you know, to be patient. We, eight months is a long time. Even if you agreed it at the start and the, the board know where you are, eight months in, crappy update. Then we 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 we're still on time. It's not going to be quite the Christmas we wanted. It's not going to be quite the Black Friday we wanted. It's not going to be quite the excitement that we've been on for years, and we've turned it down. Um, what was good about that is twofold. One. You learn who believes in you, 
which is good. Luckily for me, every single one of our investors, every single one of our shareholders, every single member of our board completely backed me on this, which was fantastic because then we come out the other side, the gains are there, and that only builds confidence. The other thing that really stood out to me from your perspective is the people who leave you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fascinating. Yeah. Because then what you get is you go, who's backing me yeah. when I know what I'm doing? But it's not easy to have that faith, right? When you're not in control, I guess, sometimes. Who leaves you on that journey? Because they're like, well, this isn't exciting anymore. Or this isn't the easy ride it was. Now I'm having to work really bloody hard to make this work. I can't just hide in the cracks of the company yeah. when it's going up, 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 yeah, up, yeah. up. I've actually got to be part of creating the solution. So actually, that's like um, a reset. And then when you get back to the bottom and you start going up again, the new bottom. You're better for it, aren't you? You're well better yeah. for it. You, you've got a team that now fought with you in the battlefields, getting that into shape. And then they are the ones now fighting on the way up and they'll enjoy the benefits of that. And, and obviously, then you new hires along the way. And then I'm sure there'll be another and another. We've got countries to tackle. We've got numerous things to tackle. So very interesting. We'll get, yeah. you'll get you back on when you're at your next summit then and we'll hear, we'll hear yeah, all yeah. about it and the journey there. Yeah, Kaz, Kaz that, 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 was, that, was, that was a great answer because I think that that, that piece about people leaving and, and knowing who's like really in with you um, and then them enjoying that, that other kind of forming, storming, norming, performing kind of, kind of curve is, is really interesting. And loads of businesses go through that. Um, but, but being aware of that as a, as a leader um, and as a and as a player in the team is is really important. Um, we're coming to, to to the last few questions um, at the end of end of this chat, and we've got a few. I'm looking over there because they're on a whiteboard over there. We've got a few kind of one liners. We'd like you to to just answer instinctively. Oh, no. We're not gonna we're not gonna trap you. There's not like on buy or another marketplace. There's no questions like that. Um, <laughs> but we're gonna limit it to two each. Okay. Yeah. Um, Ben's gonna go first. Um, we have had some guests that have been like, can I come back to that one? So you can park one if you need a couple of minutes and come back to it, right? But only, you only get one. So we'll do these and then we'll wrap up the conversation. Ben. Okay, my first one is plan or react? Plan or react? Plan. Explain or question? Who should be our next guest on the podcast? Zach Brown, McLaren. Zach, we're coming for you. Yeah. Okay. In five years, I will be. See, this is, I'm not going to answer this quick fire, right? Okay. I'm gonna, Dig in. Yeah, yeah okay. Uh, you know, when you start businesses and you sit down, well, you sit down with an investor or whatever, and they say, I want to see your business plan five years. Five years is a lifetime. Five years, asking someone what they're going to be doing in five years. Five years ago, <laughs> I couldn't have given you the, 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 the right steer. Could you have guessed where you are today five years ago as well? Has it changed that dramatically? Yeah, but I probably would have said I probably would have said that we'd launched in countries and everything by now, right? I mean, everything's just so much harder than than you think it's going to be. And who knew that Brexit was going to kick in right in the middle? <laughs> who knew that there's going to be loads? Of, you know, so it's just you, you know when you said plan or react as a question, plan because you're going to need to react. Like yes, yeah. the five years is is massive. We have a we have the bare bones of a five-year plan it's bare bones you go this is what i need to do this year see I, I spoke to someone recently who said we only plan for a year we don't look any further than a year that's wrong that's wrong that's absolutely wrong I, I'm, I'm like argued this out saying I, you're wrong i understand why you say that because you you're saying that five years you can't plan for no but you can you can 
have the bare bones of where you want to be. Because if you don't have a vision of where you want to be and you're only working year on year, you, you're never going to hit the target. You don't have the target. So we have a vision of what we want to get, but then it's not a plan because the plan falls in as you learn and starts to go, how do we do it? So you set the goals, you set where you, where you want to achieve. Plan evolves. And then you go, that's where I'm going to get. So if we talk about bare bones, I'd like to be in five years an international CEO of the of of Ombai and Ombai being a, a far more established, profitable, leading global marketplace. And I think that's my current five year goal that I'm gonna try and do in three. Nice. Perfect. I think nice. that's a great response and uh, yeah, that's a good wrap up to our quickish quickish fire round. Yeah. I appreciate that. Hey, the other ones are no, good. A good answer. It was worth worth the wait, yeah, I yeah. think. They were good. And I think um I think I think one thing that I'm gonna offer, and you can accept it or throw it straight back at me down the lens, is I think in five years, I like from what I've taken from you in, in this this short conversation is you're still gonna be learning. Like I just see you as someone like in five years I will be, you will still be learning, like and you'll be on to the next thing, like how do I be an even better international CEO of Ombai. Kaz, look, it's been it's been a pleasure been chatting really with you. It's that. lovely to speak to a fellow Bournemouth-based business as well. So big up, big up Bournemouth. We can't wait to um to explore uh, the cashback we can we can accrue yeah, on Ombai. And um and yeah, thank you so much for sharing your your knowledge, your journey, um and what you've learned along the way um with all of our audience. Yeah, there's lots of lessons to be taken yeah. for that, especially yeah for startup scale ups and fully. Uh, businesses alike. Yeah, appreciate your time. Thank you very much for that. Thanks for joining us on the How They Lead podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and learned something new about the world of high performance. If you have any feedback or suggestions for future episodes, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. And don't forget to subscribe to the How They Lead podcast on your favorite platform so you never miss an episode. Until next time, keep pushing yourself to reach your full potential and evolve the way you perform. And remember, just because something has always been done a certain way doesn't mean doing it a new way can't work.